0: Recently, Landon and Doug were talking about how Landon doesn't like that it gets dark so early. The reason why he doesn't like that it gets dark so early is because he wants to stay outside later to play. So Doug and him were talking about this, and then Doug tells him how there are places in Alaska where there are seasons where it's light all the time, but then there are seasons where it's dark all day, every day. And Landon's eyes got really, really big, and he was like, I can't believe that. And then he thought for a minute, and then he gave me the proof that he is his father's son. Because his face lit up, and he said, but you know what would be so awesome about the fact that it's dark all the time? We could have Christmas lights on all the time. And in that moment, I was thinking, praise you, Jesus, that we don't live in Alaska because it's January 8th and I'm already begging Doug to take the Christmas lights down. This is about the time where he walks up, puts the light on, they go on, and then I walk by and I put them down and think, we're that neighbor. We're the only ones that still have our lights on. But the truth is that sometimes our lives can be like Alaska, where the sun is shining. But there are also times that our life can be like seasons of darkness where it feels like it's dark all the time, where discouragement and depression are so thick and so heavy, we can't see where we're going, and we can almost feel like there is a literal weight on us. You know, there are different degrees of depression and discouragement. Sometimes they're short, and sometimes they are long-lasting. Sometimes they can range from just being bothersome to downright debilitating and crushing. You know, the thing about depression is that so often it's never just depression. It often comes with unwelcome friends like anxiety and like doubt and like relationship issues as a result of that depression. You know, the other thing that's true about discouragement is sometimes you and I can so clearly see why we're going through discouragement. We can trace it back to our circumstances. Maybe we've experienced some kind of loss in our life some kind of disappointment, some kind of difficulty, and we say, yeah, this is why I'm discouraged. But, you know, we also go through seasons of discouragement that there is no clear reason why, that we can't really trace what it is that is causing it, and yet there's this heaviness over us, and it feels like we can't shake it. So have you ever gone through either of those times? Maybe you're here today, and you're going through a time like that now. And if that's you here today, the first thing I just want to encourage you with is that you are not alone. There are many strong, genuine followers of Christ that have gone through times of deep depression, times of discouragement, times of sorrow, times of even despair. In fact, some of the greatest writings that the church has, some of the most powerful hymns, have come from those who walk through seasons of deep darkness, people like Charles Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis, and William Cowper, just to name a few. We know what the truth is that even though times of depression and discouragement are common and familiar to even those who know Jesus, a lot of times we don't talk about it. A lot of times we just keep it to ourselves. And the question is, why is that? You know, I think that one of the things that the false prosperity gospel has caused, you know what the prosperity gospel is? is that Jesus died to make your life perfect without suffering, without sorrow here and now. I think one of the things that that has caused is to create an environment in the church where you and I are not real with our struggles with each other. It has created this environment where there is a shame attached to suffering. And so we keep it to ourselves instead of sharing it because we're worried that other followers of Christ will either reject us or view us as not having very strong faith if we go through times of suffering, specifically times of deep discouragement. You know, if Jesus died to make your life perfect here and now, and you're open and honest with your struggle, then that's a reflection of your faith. Then your faith must not be strong enough to not only keep you from getting discouraged, but not strong enough to get you out of it. And that is not true. You see, it's so clear from the word of God that real and genuine followers of Christ go through times of sorrow, suffering, and deep depression. See, a day is coming without tears or pain of any kind, but that day is not now. That day is coming. And so life here and now, specifically for the follower of Christ, will be blessing mixed with suffering, will be victory mixed with pain, will be joy mixed mixed with sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Now here's what I absolutely know to be true. That as the recipients of God's amazing grace, like we sang about, grace on top of grace, that no matter what you and I ever go through in this life, we have every reason to have joy. But this is what I also know to be true, is that sometimes we have to fight for that joy. Sometimes that joy does not come easily. Our daughter Brynn started basketball again this week, and um, that in itself, you know, is an answer to prayer because many of you know that Brynn was unable to even run a few months ago. But I love going to these games. These little girls are so intense. Um, If you know Brynn, you know that there's such a sweetness about her. Uh, Just to give you an example, when somebody is sick in our home, Brynn is the one who is running around trying to take care of them. She gets their pillow from their bed. She puts a blanket on them. She puts on their favorite show. She finds ways to serve them when they're not feeling well. But there is one place that sweet Bryn turns into feisty Bryn, and that's on the basketball court. Often after her games, I will tell her. I look her in her face, and I say, You are one scary chick. And the reason is because God helped the girl who tries to take the ball away from Bryn. She will fight for that ball. She will hold on to it, and not let it go. I mean, I have sat on the sidelines laughing at someone trying to pull the ball. She makes this face. She turns her body. She will even fall to the ground wrestling for that ball. She doesn't give up. She doesn't let that ball go. And the question is, do we fight for joy the same way that Bryn fights for that ball? You see, because we can do one of two things when we go through discouragement and depression. We could throw up our hands and give up, or you and I can fight for joy. How do we do that? How do we fight for joy in the midst of darkness? How do we fight for joy when discouragement is hanging on us like a weight and will not lift? Well, I hope that's what we will see today. Here's why this message is so important. Because every single one of us in this room will either go through a time of discouragement or somebody close to us will. And we need to know what we do when we find ourselves in those dark places, my first goal today is this. I have two goals for today. My first goal is to encourage those who are in a depression and it seems like it's never going to end, and the darkness is never going to lift. Um, have you heard about the stomach virus that is going around? This stomach virus is horrible I mean. A friend of mine works in a school district, texted me that on Friday, 100 kids from that district were out with the stomach virus, just on one day. Um, The stomach virus hit the Jansen family, and we were like flies that were just going down one after another. During that time, we became very familiar with buckets and with the toilet because it was like ships passing in the night. I have to puke. Okay, you have to puke. I have to puke. And going through this last week reminded me of something that happened 11 years ago. See, 11 years ago, I was pregnant with my daughter, Bryn. And when I was pregnant, I threw up a lot. I don't want to gross you out today, but it's the truth. I threw up a lot. I actually chose what I ate based on how it comes up. Um, I could tell you to this day the best things and the worst things to throw up when you're not feeling well. So I had this one day where I was throwing up nonstop. I was in the bathroom, and I couldn't get up. And my 2-year-old son, Cade, I'll never forget this, came and sat outside the door of the bathroom as I was throwing up. And he began to sing to me. And he sang to me to encourage me. And I'll never forget what he sang. He said, oh, no, you never let go. Although it was more like you never let go, because he couldn't say go. Through the calm and through the storm. Oh, no, you never let go. And every high, every low. Oh, no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. Why do I tell you that story? Because my goal today is to sing outside the door of your heart, to sing to you through the door of your heart that in the darkness he will never let go, that in the darkness he is with you, and that in the darkness there is a way to fight for joy in Christ. My second goal for this message is to those who are walking alongside of someone who is deeply depressed. You know, when sometimes when someone we love is depressed, we don't know how to help them. We don't know What to do, but I hope that you will find encouragement today and find ways to point them to hope. The Word of God speaks volumes to us about depression. You know, the word depression, interestingly, is never used in the Bible, but it uses words that would point to somebody being depressed words like sorrowful and discouraged and despairing and downcast. You know, the truth is, it's not just people like Charles Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis who went through deep depression and discouragement. There are key figures in the Bible, like Elijah and Jeremiah and Jonah and Paul, who walk through their own times of discouragement. You know, I think the place in the Word of God that we find the greatest hope and encouragement and the, the most about dealing with this issue of discouragement and depression is in the Psalms. The Psalms are full of real, genuine followers of the Lord who felt deeply discouraged who felt like they were in a pit of despair. There were so many psalms that we can go to to look at today, but I felt led to look at Psalms 13, so that's what we're going to do. And this was a psalm of David. And David was somebody who was no stranger to despair. But in this psalm, you and I will see what David does when the darkness falls. We will see how it is that David fights for joy in the midst of the darkness. So the question for us today is this, how do we, by the grace of God and the Word of God, fight for joy? So we're going to look at Psalm 13. And, And before we get started, you know, whenever we can, I think it's so important to look at the context of why something was written without just reading it, looking and studying the history of that time. And for this psalm, the answer is, we don't know. We don't know what was going on in David's life during that time. We know that he was deeply sorrowful. But we don't know if it was because of circumstances or if it was just a deep spiritual depression. And you know why I think that's good for us today? Is that whether you are here and you are discouraged because you've walked through really painful circumstances or you are discouraged and you have no rhyme or reason why you and I can find hope and encouragement by what David says. Because the truth is that the way that we fight for joy is the same, whether it's circumstances or it's a depression that we can't put our finger on. So let's see what David does, starting in verse one. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So looking at these first two verses, we see this question that David asks over and over again. And the question is, how long? And that question shows us that David's battle, that his struggle is ongoing. It's lengthy. It seems like it's never going to end. You see, you and I can go through harder seasons of suffering that are short and better able to go through them than the long durations of one that are maybe not as hard but feels like they're never going to end. Some of you can relate to that. You've been under this weight of discouragement and depression for so long. Long. And when the battle with depression or discouragement is ongoing, like David, we begin to question God. We begin to question, has he forgotten us? And we begin to feel like he has hidden his face from us. Now here's what's so important for understand for us to understand: that even though David feels this way, he feels like God has forgotten about him, he feels like God has abandoned him. None of that is true. You see, when we walk through times of deep discouragement, often our perception about ourselves is off, but even more so, our perception and our opinion of God is off and clouded and inaccurate. No matter what David is feeling in this moment, God has not forgotten about him. Can I just say the same to you here today? That no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, no matter how God feels far away and like there's a wall up between you and him, he has not forgotten about you. He's not abandoned you. He's not left you to walk through the darkness alone. How do I know that? Because he tells us that in his word. Would you look with me at Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16. It says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God will not, God cannot forget you because Jesus still bears the scars of what it took to make you his. That's an unbreakable promise. Now here's where I think the problem is, is that when we go through deep discouragement, we look at a promise like that and we disconnect ourselves from it. We look at a promise like that and we begin to feel like that promise is for every other child of God except for us, that somehow God has forgotten us. Well, if you're here today and you know Jesus, that you have received the gospel, it's because God pursued you. He sought you out. He opened up your eyes and brought your dead heart back to life. You didn't twist God's arm and beg him to love you and beg him to receive you. No, he went after you. And there was no length that he did not go, no suffering he was not willing to endure to make you his. And you know what that means? It means that that promise is yours. It means that you could take the word you out of that verse and replace it with your name. God says, I will not forget, put your name in that. He says, I have engraved, put your name in that on the palm of my hands. No matter what you're going through today, don't disconnect yourself because of what you're feeling from the truth that's in that verse that God cannot and will not ever forget you. Why? Because he bears the scars of what it took to make you his David feels forgotten by God right now, and there's no darker place than that. But here's what's so important to point out. What does he do? If you're taking notes, this is the first way that we see David fighting for joy in the midst of his depression and darkness. This is what he does. He continues to cry out to God. That's what this psalm is. In his pain, in his sorrow, in his wrestling, he seeks the Lord. Don't miss how important that is. He doesn't understand what he's going through and why God feels so far, but he doesn't turn away from God. He turns to him. He continues to cry out to him. Sometimes when you and I feel far away from God, we stop crying out. We stop praying. We bottle things up. We turn to other things to try to fill the void, which only leads to more brokenness and more emptiness. And so my question for you today is this. In going through times of deep discouragement, are you seeking the Lord? Are you crying out to him? Even in your pain and even in your wrestling and even in your sorrow, are you seeking him? And maybe you're thinking, I just don't have the words to say anymore. And I get that. Recently, I was feeling so low and so overwhelmed that all I could say was Jesus. And so that's what I said over and over again. I just said, Jesus. If all you can do is call on his name, then that's enough. If all you can do is say the name of Jesus, that's where you start. I love that the incredible God that we have sees our tears he hears our sighs and even our groanings he's not distant and apathetic when his children are hurting he is close to you even when it feels like he's far away in the next few verses david continues to cry out to the lord let's look at verse 3 look on me and answer me lord my god give light to my eyes or i will sleep in death And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Most commentators agree that David in this verse is not talking about a literal death, but a falling so deep into discouragement that there is no way out. And that discouragement was a direct result of not being able to see or feel God. And so what is David asking? David is asking for the eyes of of faith to see the Lord, even in the dark. He's saying, give light to my eyes. Things are so dark, but what? Let me see you. It's really important. When we go through times of deep discouragement, a lot of times we pray, God, change my circumstances. Or we pray, God, lift the darkness. And that's good. Keep praying that. But you know what else we need to pray in the midst of those times? God, give me eyes to see you. You see, because fighting for joy in the dark is not about fighting for an emotion. And it's not even fighting for a change in our circumstances. Fighting for joy is a fight to see God for who he is in the midst of what we are walking through. Why? Because if we are in the dark and you can't see anything else but you see God, that changes everything. Hope returns back to our hearts. We will have joy even in the midst of sorrow if we're able to see him and know that he is with us and that he has us. Susanna Spurgeon was the wife of Charles Spurgeon, and she said something so powerful. She said, what if sometimes there are mists and fogs so thick that I cannot see the path? It's enough that you hold my hand and guide me in the darkness, for walking with you in the gloom is far sweeter and safer than walking alone in the sunlight. Are you in the dark? Are you going through a season of deep discouragement? Let your prayer be, Lord, give me eyes to see you and know that even now you are with me. There are two more verses left in this psalm that we're gonna look at, and this is where hope starts to come in. This is where there's cracks in the darkness and that light starts to flood David's heart and mind. Let's look at verse five. He says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. Some of the greatest, most powerful, life-giving verses in the word of God start with that little word, but. It feels like God is far away, but. I'm wrestling with my thoughts, but. I have sorrow in my heart day after day, but. But what? David says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. This is the next way that we see David fight for joy in the midst of darkness. David fights for joy by trusting in God's unfailing love. David doesn't see God's love right now. He doesn't feel God's love right now, but he chooses to trust that God's love is unchanging for him no matter what he's feeling and no matter what he's going through. At our Women's Tea a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus can be trusted, that his coming to save us is the proof of not only his great love for us, but it is the proof of his commitment to walk with you and I all the days of our life. Because of all that Jesus suffered for us, you and I can trust in that unfailing love, even in the dark, even when we can't see him and even when we don't feel like his love is unfailing. We said at that tea that Jesus did not give his back to be beaten for you, to turn his back on you now. His love for you is unfailing. And maybe you're thinking, if his love for me is so deep and so unfailing, then why has he allowed me to go through times of such deep darkness? And I don't know the answer to that. But I know that God is sovereign, and I know that he is good, and I know that there is nothing that ever comes into the life of one of his children that he does not use for their good. Maybe you're thinking, well, what good can come from dark? Let me just encourage you with this that after Jesus died on the cross, there were three hours of darkness. The three hours of darkness preceded the greatest victory in all of history. What does that tell us? That God was still at work in the dark. God's plans did not fail in the dark. And victory came as Jesus rose again and conquered sin and death for us. Victory is on the other side When you and I choose to trust in God's unfailing love, no matter what we feel, no matter what we face. David goes on. He says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. Now this was written a thousand years before Jesus came. And what David was doing is he was looking forward to the promise of salvation. He was looking forward to the cross and the promise of the coming Messiah. And that gave him hope and joy in the midst of what he was feeling And facing. I love that in the verse David says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. See, David is the one being saved, but who is the one that would accomplish that salvation? It wasn't David. It wasn't what David would do to earn or receive that salvation. It was what God would do for David. See, salvation belongs to the Lord because he is the one that accomplishes it for us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what I want you to understand is that to trust in Jesus as your Savior is not about earning salvation. It's not about doing enough good things to be accepted by God. It's not all about what we do, but it is about what he has done for you, that he came to be your substitute, to take your place and die in your place so that you can be reconciled to God. David rejoiced in his salvation. He was somebody who was far from perfect, But he put his faith in a perfect God. And so we see the third way, the third thing that David does in the psalm to fight for joy in the darkness is this. David fights for joy by rejoicing in his salvation. The truth is that we have something better than David. You see, David looked forward to the cross, to what would happen, to the promise. But you and I look back. We look back and see the finished work of the cross. See, we look back and see all that Jesus did accomplish for us. And so if David could rejoice in his salvation by looking forward, how much more are you and I able to rejoice in our salvation by looking back to the cross? So whether you are feeling deeply discouraged today because of life circumstances, or you're feeling deeply discouraged and you don't even know why, we fight for joy when we meditate on our great, salvation and it is such a great salvation what does our salvation mean for us what are some of the things we need to remind ourselves of in the dark and it means this it means that the record of our wrongs have been nailed to the cross our debt has been fully and completely paid if you're here and you've put your trust in Christ there is now nor will there ever be condemnation for you because Jesus carried it all for you What else does our salvation mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is in us to guide us and strengthen us, to enable us to face things that we think in ourselves we could never face and keep us together and keep us from falling. It means that a day is coming that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eye and there'll be no death and no pain and no sadness or no heartache ever again. That's the hope that we have. That's what we look forward to. What else does it mean? It means that we will spend an eternity with our Savior, discovering more and more just how incredible and how amazing Jesus is. It will take an eternity for us to know more and more and to discover how incredible he is and his great love for us. And all of that are just a few of the many reasons that you and I have to rejoice in our salvation. And So no matter how dark things feel, no matter how far God feels, understanding and rejoicing in all that Jesus has done for us is like a bright light that breaks into the darkness. So in the midst of your discouragement, are you doing that? Are you reminding yourself of all you have in Christ? Well, David does one more thing. Verse 6 says this, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing the, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. In verse 5, David was looking forward to salvation, to the cross. In this verse, he's looking back on his life, and he walks away with this conclusion, that God has been good to me. No matter what I'm going through right now, no matter what I'm feeling, I have a history of God's faithfulness in my life, and that gives him every reason to sing and every reason to praise. The last thing we see that David did in the dark was this, David fights for joy by praising in the dark. You know, sometimes there are seasons in our life that it's so easy for you and I to sing and to praise. And there are some times that you and I are going to have to choose to praise by remembering all that he has done for us because right now in this moment, we feel far and God feels distant. It's so important to note that David sang before he saw the victory, before the sorrow lifted. It's easy for us to praise on the other side of suffering. You know, it's easy for us to praise on the other side of discouragement. But how much would God be glorified if you and I choose to praise while we're in the very middle of that discouragement and darkness? And the truth is that God doesn't need our praise. We're the ones that need it. We're the ones that are encouraged, encouraged, and have our hearts lifted when we choose to praise our incredible Savior. And so are you, are you feeling down? Are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling like you're walking around in the dark? Praise him. Worship him. Sing to him. Look at the history of your life and all the things that he has done for you. And begin to praise again. We fight for joy by choosing to praise. David was somebody with deep faith. David was somebody who was called the apple of God's eye. And yet David was somebody who went through times of deep discouragement and depression. But in that darkness, he fought for joy in the God of his salvation. And so we saw four things, four ways that David fought for joy in the midst of darkness. And four ways that you and I fight for joy as well. And it's this, continue to cry out to God trust in his unfailing love, rejoice in salvation, and choose to worship. Now, so often we say, I'll start praying again, I'll start trusting again, I'll start rejoicing and worshiping again when the darkness lifts. But God wants us to, in the dark, trust. In the dark, cry out to him. In the dark, praise and rejoice. Why? Because that's how you and I fight for joy in the midst of what we're going through. I just want to spend a few minutes speaking to those who maybe aren't in a depression, but you are walking closely along someone who is deeply discouraged. And I have a few encouragements for you. And the first one is this. Pray for them. Sounds simple, right? I think sometimes we don't know how to pray for them. A lot of times when somebody is going through a hard time, we find ourselves praying this. God be with them. Have you ever prayed that before? I know I have. We pray, God, be with them. But the truth is that if they are a child of God, God is with them. We don't need to pray that because that's his promise to who that person is. So how do you and I pray? We pray, God, give them a deep understanding that they're with you. Give light to their eyes. Open their eyes to see how you are walking through this with them. Next thing I would encourage you with is this, point them to truth. First, I'll tell you what they don't need to hear. They don't need to hear the reasons why you think they're depressed. They don't need to hear things like, just be happy and snap out of it. They don't need to hear, other people have things worse than you. What they need to hear from you is deep biblical truth. They need to hear from you and I truth about God's unfailing love. They need to hear truth about his incredible grace. They need to hear truth about the faithfulness of God, even in suffering. The next thing that I would encourage you to do is love them well. Sometimes you don't have to say a word. Sometimes all that you need to do is sit with them, listen to them, cry with them, hold them. This is really important. Be patient with them. Don't scold them for still going through that depression. And not yet coming out of it. And lastly, this is really important, and this is to encourage your own heart as you walk along someone side someone who's depressed. It's this "Don't blame yourself." Doug has openly shared in his messages about his prolonged battle with depression. That depression started right after we got married. It was like our plane from the honeymoon landed in the darkness. Fell. And here's what I thought. It's my fault. If I was a better wife, he wouldn't be going through this. If I was making him happier, he wouldn't be in a depression. You know, me thinking that not only didn't help, but it actually made Doug's depression worse because I would say to him, it's my fault. There are parents who are walking around carrying a weight of guilt because your child is going through a depression. There are spouses who are blaming themselves for their spouse's depression. There are kids who are blaming themselves for their parents' depression. And we torment our minds with the if only. If only I was a better parent. If only if I was a better spouse. If only if I was a better child. Can I ask you what good does that do? And the answer is none. It just adds to an already painful time. And so one of the things I felt so strongly in preparing this message to encourage you with is that many of you need to drop the guilt that you carry because someone else in your life is going through discouragement. When you drop that guilt, you're better able to be there and love that person well. So how do we do that? How do we drop that guilt? How do we stop blaming ourselves? And I think there's only one way. We stop blaming ourselves when we trust that even in the darkness, God is sovereign and he's accomplishing his purposes. It's hard to watch somebody you love go through deep depression, but even in the dark, God is at work. Even in the dark, he is refining, he's deepening faith, he's opening up their eyes to his goodness, even in suffering you know what else he's doing in those dark times? He's developing in that person a compassion for others that they would not have otherwise. That they are developing a compassion for others who are discouraged and depressed that they would never know and understand had they not walked through their own time of depression. You see, what I didn't know 16 years ago when Doug went into a deep depression is that God would use it to shape the pastor that he is today. From somebody who is with him behind the scenes all the time, can I just tell you how deep his heart is for this church? How he carries your burdens in prayer day after day, how he hurts when you're hurting, and how he empathizes with those who are doubting, those who feel like God is distant, and those who feel like depression was never going to end. He has the heart of a shepherd because he walked through that time of darkness in his own life. So you know what that tells me? That none of it was wasted and that none of it was pointless. Your child, your spouse, your parents' depression is not wasted in the hands of our Redeemer. God is sovereign even in the dark, and he's accomplishing his purposes even when you can't see how he will use it for their good as only he can. That's what our Redeemer does. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said, what a redeemer we have, that even our depression is not wasted. I often feel very grateful to God that I have undergone fearful depressions of spirit. I know the borders of despair and the horrible brink of the gulf of darkness into which my feet have almost gone. But hundreds of times, I've been able to give a helpful grip to brethren and sisters who have come into that same condition, which grip I could never have given If I had not known their deep despondency. So I believe that the darkest and most dreadful experience of the child of God will help him be a fisher of men if he will but follow Christ. I would add to that if you would just trust Christ in the midst of your darkness or in the depression of somebody you love, even though that we can trust God's sovereignty in the midst, and trust his promise to redeem otherwise wasted sorrow, we can absolutely be sure that you and I must fight for joy. That's his heart for us. Let him be the one to redeem it while you and I fight for joy. We fight for joy by continuing to cry out to God. Don't stop. Let it push you deeper into crying out to him by trusting his his unfailing love, by rejoicing in salvation, and by choosing to worship. As we close, there's just one other thing I want to make mention of. One of the things that we didn't see in the psalm, but we did it together today, is this, is be in the word of God. When darkness falls, it's so important that you and I don't stop reading his word. When we can't feel the presence of God, we can still clearly hear his voice, speak right to our hearts through his word. His word is life to us. Let the dark seasons compel you to go deeper in his word. William Cowper, who I mentioned earlier, was a close friend of John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. And the two of them wrote many hymns that you probably know together. And William Cowper went through such deep times of darkness and sadness in his life. John Newton even rescued him from suicide on multiple occasions. Yet out of those deep, dark times in his life, He wrote to us as believers in Christ some of the greatest encouragement. He wrote different poems and hymns about God's goodness and God's mercy and his faithfulness. He wrote a poem called Light Shining Out of the Darkness, and I want to close with just part of that poem today. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds, of never-failing scale. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be his, the flower. Trust God in the dark. Fight for joy in him. Behind a seeming frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your unfailing love for us. A love that sought us out, that sent your son on a rescue mission to seek and save us. And I pray that every single person in this room will know that no matter what they're feeling, no matter what they're going through, that that love is unfailing and that love covers them and that love is with them to sustain them and strengthen them as they walk through this life. I pray that you would break heaviness today, that you would break discouragement, that you would teach us as your people to fight for joy in you. We have every reason to have joy. I pray that you would return light to our eyes and enable us to see you in the dark. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy that is so undeserving yet has been poured out on each of us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.